You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our student pastor, Gabe Pecoraro. I'm excited to be able to speak, and as I was praying through what it looked like, obviously it's New Year's Eve, right? And we are about to end the chapter of 2023 and step into this new chapter of 2024. And what do we know about New Year's? Well, first off, we know that there are lots of things happening this year. In 2024, it is a leap year. So there you go. There's your one in four. We actually have RSM on leap year. So that is going to be, it's one in 16, like once every 16 years. It's going to be crazy. We've got a two-year anniversary coming up for you guys at Greenville. We've got a 10-year anniversary coming up for renovation as a whole. If you guys did not know yet, there is an election this year. There's some crazy stuff that is happening, right? So we know it's going to be a very tumultuous time, maybe a little bit tense in October and November and December and so on and so forth, right? But there's a lot that happens this year. And every single year, we see that it is typically a tradition that you would start the year with some sort of resolution. Whether that's adding something new, whether that's I want to get in shape, or I want to eat better, or I want to spend less time on my screen, or I want to do this or that or the other, or I want to jump in with the church and do this Bible reading plan, we see that New Year's resolutions are a very common thing. And so they're happening, but I think a lot of us also know that many of us maybe set aspirations and goals that are a little bit too high, and we fall off the wagon after maybe a week maybe two weeks. If you're lucky, maybe you make it to February. And this is what Forbes Health had to say. They said, in fact, failing New Year's resolutions is so common that there's a couple of unofficial days that commemorate our failures. So if you did not know, January 17th is a great day for us all to join Ditch New Year's Resolution Day if you don't feel like keeping up with what you started, right? Or another time, if, if, you, if, you, if that, the 17th is a little bit too far gone for you, well, maybe the second Friday in January, it's known as Quitter's Day. So if you want to be a quitter, that is the day to do it, right? Well, because it's so common to fail these resolutions, Ohio State and their Fisher School of Business put out a couple of strategies for us to get better. They said this, they said, first, good goals should start at a time of change. And they said, traditionally, starting a goal because it's tradition on New Year's Eve to set a new resolution is not a good time to start a goal. You want to start something when something has actually changed in your life. That's going to help you keep to it. It's going to help you stick with it. They also say this, they say you should expect obstacles. I think many of us have said, I wanna get into shape, I wanna eat better, and I was already eating 300 grams of sugar a day. Well, now I'm gonna do 75 hard, I'm gonna work out two times a day when I have picked up a dumbbell three times in my life, those three times are when I was helping somebody move, and, and I'm just gonna go from zero to a million, and then we wonder why did we fail after a week and a half? Well, because we set a goal that was so mountains and mountains above where we're at. They said you should expect obstacles. If you're going from zero to 75 hard, it's going to be hard. They also said that you should set goals into challenging, measured, but smaller chunks. So going from never picked up a dumbbell before to doing 75 hard, 
or we're gonna do Murph the next day for all of you CrossFit junkies, right? We're gonna do that. It's probably not a good idea. If I work out zero times a week and I start working out three times a week, I am working out three times more than what I was doing before. And so many of us fall flat on our face because we start and we're setting a goal that's so high that we can't attain it. And the last thing they say is this. They say that there needs to be good accountability. That outside of just writing your vision and making it plain, people need to be in the fold so that when you're having a rough day, they can give you a shoulder to lean on. They can encourage you. And then when you're being dramatic, they can say, hey, you're being dramatic. So we need those four things. And New Year's resolutions are so important, but as I was praying through what to talk about today, the thing that has been so strongly impressed on my heart is my family moves into 2024, and the thing that I feel so pressed to talk to you guys about is moving into 2024, are we grounded? The greatest goals and aspirations are never gonna get anywhere if there's not a foundation to stand on. I can't build a skyscraper without first digging really, really deep into the ground so that when winds come and rains come, when there's an earthquake, when challenges happen, we can still be steady. And so for us as a church, that is my challenge. And Paul says this in Romans chapter 12. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And in the first 11 chapters of Romans, Paul has spent a great deal of time talking about the mercies of God that we are justified by grace through faith alone, that there is nothing that we can do to attain this mercy and this grace of God except choose to accept and fall into this sacrifice that Jesus made for us. Paul has spent a lot of time talking about the extravagant and just incomprehensible mercies of God. And in chapter 12, he shifts to give the church a challenge. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's great mercy, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your true and proper worship. And this was the scripture that's been so pressed on my heart as we move into 2024. And this is what I think Paul is saying here. Well, first he says that I urge you. Some translation says I beseech you. What is Paul saying? I spent the last 11 chapters talking about God's grace and mercies. And now, using my apostolic authority, I'm gonna call the entire Christian body to this calling. This is not just for pastoral staff. This is for the person who's working the nine to five. This is for the mom who's at home with their kids. This is for the kids who are in the student ministry who feel like they cannot do anything for Jesus yet because they're not the church. They've gotta grow old to be the church. Paul is bringing every single person who has made a profession of faith into this calling. So this is not just for Matt and I. This is for every single one of us. That's what Paul is saying when he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, every single one of us. Then he says this, in view of God's Mercy. Basically, he's saying because of what God has already done, and I found myself in this trap so many times in my life, 
I found myself in the trap of I need to do something. I need to to be so good at this. I need to, to read my Bible this much. And I need to study so hard in order to attain God's grace. And that is totally not the right way to look at it. Because of what God has already done. Because God has already loved you first. In view of God's mercy. Because the gospel of Jesus is not a gospel of works. It's not. Ephesians 2 says, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So in view of God's mercies, brothers and sisters, what are we to do? We are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. The first thing that we need to recognize in this portion of the scripture is that first and foremost, God wants you and not just your work. If you are trying to build a life on all the Christian activities that you do, you are going about it the wrong way. It's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth will speak. It's out of the overflow of the heart that the hands will do. People who have been loved graciously and loved generously and loved extravagantly will love extravagantly. And where do we find that? In the mercies and grace of our God that he's already shown us. So offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. One way that I have absolutely struggled in recognizing that first and foremost, God wants me and not my work. I've also struggled with this in other areas of my life. So as I told you, Ellie and I have been married for two years. And this is something that I've had to learn and relearn and be corrected on and be reminded of and be told and be scolded and this and that and the other, right? As I would imagine that most of us men in here are probably pretty stubborn. So this this is kind of one of those things for me. But for me, one of the ways that I show love is through acts of service. And so it is very easy if there's some free time that we have at the house, Israel might be laying down and Ellie and I are just hanging out. It's very easy for me to think, ooh, I can do these dishes for Ellie or I can clean up this thing or there's this thing that needs to get done. I need to clean up this room. And Ellie's sitting on the couch just wanting to hang out. But for me, the, oh, no, 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 Ellie's gonna love this if I do this thing. When in fact, what's the greatest for Ellie and I as a couple is to leave the dishes and to spend time together. And I think oftentimes in our relationship with Jesus, we forget that first and foremost, he wants us. So we need to come to him and we need to spend time with him. It's not about doing all the time. Sometimes it's just about being with him. So first and foremost, we offer our bodies by being with him. But then what do we do? We recognize that our bodies is, yes, our physical being, but our body also houses our mind, our will, our emotions, our spirit, our heart. Just like a hug is an expression of love, but love is far greater than a hug, This body encapsulates everything. It encapsulates my thoughts. It encapsulates my heart. So Paul is challenging the church in what you do, but also how you think. In the way that you're serving in this serve day or the way that you are, are, you know, dapping up your employees and trying to make them feel better, what do you think about your employees? Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. And what is a living sacrifice? Well, I know for me, this has tripped me up a bunch 
because you read the Bible and you see that all throughout the Old Testament, sacrifices were a big deal. You would bring a ram or a goat or a lamb to the altar and it had to be pure and, and unblemished and it would be killed as atonement, right? Well, when the Bible says this living sacrifice, what we see is that this sacrifice is brought to God's altar alive. You and I are breathing, living individuals. And we're gonna bring ourselves to God's altar alive. But also, we do not die on this altar. You and I are still breathing right now. I imagine many of us probably wanna be able to live until we're old and be able to look at our family and, and see people grow up, see our kids grow up. I know I wanna see Israel do these massive milestones, right? A living sacrifice is one that's brought alive and it's one that is ongoing. That means daily. To offer your body as a living sacrifice is to offer your body on the altar of God every single day. And how do we do it? We do it in view of God's mercy. And the last thing, it says that it is to be holy and pleasing. As I know, as you know, as everybody in here knows, every single one of us is pretty messed up, right? Every single one of us screws up daily. So how are we to be without blemish? Well, first, Jesus died for us, but second, this holy and pleasing thing is a decision that I wanna be made holy. I want the Lord to purify me. I want to be challenged. I want the Lord to put his finger on the areas of my life that need to be changed. I wanna be made whole. I wanna do better. So when we say offer your bodies, it's not just offering yourself at your quiet time, it's also offering yourself at your four o'clock meeting when you wanna punch your coworker in the face. I want to be holy and pleasing then too. And then what does he say? He says that this is your true and your proper worship. This true and proper worship, it goes to this word logikos, which is the basically, it, it just means reasonable or it means according to the word. The most reasonable thing that you and I can do as followers of Jesus is to give ourselves to him. The most reasonable thing. Why do we do that? We don't do that to attain his grace, but because he has already shown it. Because he has already died for me, I am gonna give my life to him. Because he has already decided, you know what, I am gonna bring them into the fold while I was dead in my trespasses, Christ died for me, I'm gonna give myself away. That is the most reasonable thing that I can do. That is your true and proper worship. And one thing that I love, I saw this definition as I was studying of worship. It says, worship is our response, both personal and corporate, to God for who he is and what he has done, expressed in and by the things we say and the way we live. So we are deceiving ourselves if we're doing Christian things, but we're not setting apart ourselves for Christ. And then I saw another definition from a guy named Sam Shoemaker who said this. He says, to be a Christian means to give as much of myself as I can to as much of Jesus as I know. So when I turn 30, I hope to be able to do this living sacrifice thing better than where I am right now at 23. When I turn 50, I hope to be doing better than at 40. And 60 at 50, and, and so on and so forth. Every single one of us has a part to play and every single one of us has been called and challenged to continue to grow 
and continue to offer yourself as a living sacrifice. So that's what all that means. But what does this have to do with moving into a new year? And again, my prayer for us as a church is this. As we move into 2024, first and foremost, we would be grounded in the mercies of God first. Before we do anything else, every single day, you and I are desperate for Jesus. Every single hour, you and I are desperate for Jesus. And if we do a bunch of things but are not grounded in the mercies of God, if we aren't loving people because Christ first loved us, I would be able to argue with you that maybe it was just, it was meaningless. Jesus first love. So I hope that we can be grounded in the mercies of God. The next thing is this, I want us to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. And I think there's three kind of areas to do this. The first is this, privately. Am I offering myself as a living sacrifice in what I do when it is just me? And the question that I would ask you to maybe be able to examine this fear of our life is this, how do I spend my free time? How do I do it? So in a survey that Simple Texting conducted of, of 3,000 people in 2021, we saw a couple of things. We saw that South Carolina had an average screen time of 3.93, almost four hours a day. And that's not even the worst in the nation. The worst is Mississippi. In Mississippi, screen time was 5.67 hours a day on this or the iPad or whatever. And what do we see? Well, that's enough time in the entire year to watch every single episode of Law and Order SVU, Grey's Anatomy, The Simpsons, Criminal Minds, The Walking Dead, Friends, The Office, Seinfeld, every movie in the Marvel Universe at that time, all of the extended Lord of the Rings and Hobbit movie, that's terrible, and still have 30 hours left. Yet so many people talk about they don't have time to seek God. So many people talk about they don't have time to open the word and to, to be able to ingest and be transformed by the only book that as you read it, it reads you. So I would, I would challenge you, I implore you, and I'm doing this myself, how do you spend your free time? And what does that look like? I'm not telling you to become a nun, to become a monk, to start copying the Bible every single second of every single day. What I'm telling you is to take a practical look at my day. Do I start my day and my first hello is to God? Do I take time to meditate on his mercies? Do I take time to think about the cross? Do I have daily rhythms in my life, maybe like a Bible reading plan that the church is doing together and it's five chapters a week and it's perfect to start? Are those daily rhythms in my life? And if they're not, I really think that if you looked at your time, it'd be pretty obvious as to why they're not. 
And I wonder why so many of us walk into meetings like zombies or do interactions with people like zombies. I think it's because we're so tired because instead of of doing time and being refueled and refreshed and renewed by our Lord, we watch another episode. And so that's something that has been just convicting me a ton recently. Put the phone down, stop watching guitar YouTube videos. It's not gonna make you any better. Is my time useless? The next thing is this. So privately, are we offering ourselves as a living sacrifice? Are we offering ourselves as a living sacrifice as a family? We recognize that the family of God is present here, right? The big C church, right? But we also know that in my house, I want us, Ellie, myself, Israel, whomever else enters into the fold, to be a family seeking after God, offering ourselves as a living sacrifice. So how does this practically apply to us? Well, it's the only time that we talk about Jesus when we pray together at dinner time. Are we so uncomfortable talking about what God is doing in our life that we don't? Because in my mind, when I read the Gospels, when I see the radical transformation that Jesus does in people's hearts, that is not just going to stop at my personal quiet time and when I come to church on Sundays and on Wednesdays and whatever special event there is. That should seep into every avenue of my life. And I can tell you that one of the strong, strong reasons that it is so easy for me to open my Bible is I can look back and I knew because I woke up early in the morning, I knew when I was up, my mom had already been up and she had already been seeking the Lord in the closet. And she was never afraid for us to walk in there and ask her questions. I'm not there yet. I don't have a kid who's old enough to walk into the closet and ask me questions but I hope to be that parent and I challenge every single one of you parents. It was one of the most meaningful things in my life. So maybe what it looks like is to start to have conversations about what Jesus is doing in your life and opening the door for people to have questions and curiosities. Bring people into the fold. So many times parents will ask me, why can't I get my kid to change? Because they need to see Jesus has changed you. That's what they need to see. I get them for one hour every single week. They're incredible small group leaders. Get them for 30 minutes every single week. And two times a year, we spend a weekend together. It's no wonder we, we like the Holy Spirit can do a, a work in people's hearts. They need to see the daily rhythms of mom and dad of brothers and sisters. The dinner table needs to be a time of encouragement. So is my family offering themselves as a living sacrifice? And the last thing is this, is corporately, are we offering ourselves as a living sacrifice? In the grocery store, in the workplace, am I being just a bum arm or a leg and not serving in the church? Corporately, are we, wor- are we offering ourselves? Again, the radical work of Jesus on the cross seeps into everywhere. And again, I, I would argue that if your workplace does not know that you're following Jesus, how radical, when's the last time you had an encounter with him? 
When's the last time? And I know that sounds harsh, but the fact is it's not. Jesus has changed my life. I am not who I was and it's only because of Jesus. And so every single time I see people go nuts because Clemson barely pulled out a football game or because Florida State had 20 guys out and they got beat 62 to three, People are going nuts over that, but I don't see people raising their hands when we sing worship and we sing of what God has done. I, I, have to, I have to ask myself, what has the work of Jesus on the cross done in your heart? What has it done? And I can do so much of a better job at this. Don't hear this as, as I, I, I am not perfect at this by any means, but I promise you, that if I spend time to be grounded in the mercies of God, I'm gonna be a better witness when I'm in the grocery store. If I spend time being grounded in the mercies of God, not because of what I did, but because of what he did, I am going to do a better job leading my family. And the last thing is this. I think a living sacrifice is sustaining. As I said a second ago with Sam Shoemaker talking about you know, knowing more of, of Jesus and of what he's done means that I'm gonna be able to love him more, right? I wanna be sustained when I'm 60 or 70 or 80. When I'm a grandparent, I wanna still be able to be offering myself as a living sacrifice and not burnt out and mad at the church. So how do we do that? There's a couple of things that I was thinking of. First and foremost, we have to have daily time with Jesus. We have to, non-negotiable. Have to do that in prayer, in Bible reading, in just sitting in silence. But what's the next thing? I think that community is so unbelievably important. And I think that if we jettison one of these three parts of, of, of privately, of family, of corporately, if we say I can do good with privately and family, there's probably a higher likelihood that we're gonna burn out because we don't have encouragement and we don't have conviction and we don't have accountability corporately. I think that if we do church well and if we do family well, but we don't have a private time with God, there's a higher likelihood that we're gonna flame out. We need all three of these things. One of the most wonderful things um, that I feel like is, as being able to lead worship on Sunday mornings, um, to help at worship nights and to do things like that, one of the most wonderful things that I can do is take my in-ears out and just hear you guys sing. Because that brings encouragement and life to my soul to hear that people are singing and praising God and knowing some of you guys' situations, not knowing how in the world you're gonna make it through this thing, but recognizing God is still God, he's still faithful, he's still sovereign, that brings life to my soul. And if I choose to stop being a part of the body, if I choose to start neglecting the gathering of the saints, I'm not gonna have that life in my life. And so in order to be sustaining to be a living sacrifice that is ongoing every single day. We need all three. We need that private time. Our family needs to be united around the cross. And we need the corporate gathering. So that's what I think. Um, and again, I wanna challenge you. There's some really practical ways to play these things out as we move into this new year. The first thing, 
Kirsten talked about it. Matt talked about it. We've got this Bible reading plan coming up. And so if you're wondering, where do I start in this whole Bible? Well, join in with the church. We're reading through the entire New Testament. We can take time to meditate on these life-giving words, these words that live outside of time. Start there. The next thing I would say, and one thing that, that Ellie and I are trying to, to figure out is we have a 10-month-old who is, is obviously not talking yet, speaks baby, and doesn't understand. He knows what no means, though, so I'm gonna let you guys know. He's doing pretty good, right? But it's one thing that we're trying to figure out is as a family, how can we just have regular dialogue about Jesus? Our son may not understand yet, but one thing that he sees a lot of times is when he wakes up at seven, we still have our Bibles out from quiet time. And I hope that as he gets older, he continues to see that. And I pray that he continues to have questions. And one thing that we've been trying to do a little bit more is talk about what God is practically teaching her and I. That's gonna grow us closer together, but that's also gonna invite Israel into the fold. And so take practical steps as a family. How can we bring Jesus into the conversation? How can we make it accessible for our kids to see what we're doing as adults. And the last thing, corporately. I think one of the greatest ways, obviously, that we can, can continue to be encouraged by the body is to be here on Sunday mornings, is to serve on Sunday mornings. If you're not serving, I challenge you to serve. If you are, if you are not going through Rooted and haven't gone through Rooted, I challenge you to get plugged into Rooted. But I also challenge you to start praying about and thinking about maybe one person in my workplace that I can begin to start to ask questions about, to, to, to talk to Jesus about. How can I present the gospel to this person? And that's my challenge. Again, I know a lot of you guys probably have New Year's resolutions. But I just ask that you would look at them and see are they grounded. Are they grounded in good things? And one of the greatest things about the gospel is that it is empowering. So if your New Year's resolution is to lose weight or your New Year's resolution is to you know, limit screen time or maybe it's to get my finances right or maybe it's to do this thing or that thing, the greatest thing about the gospel is the gospel does not limit that. It actually inflames that, it pumps that up. Why? Because we're grounded. And so I'm gonna do everything that I do is unto the Lord who has already given his whole self for me. So if I'm grounded in the mercies of God, the other things that I'm doing are gonna be better. So I challenge you, I implore you to look at your time, to look at these three spheres and to figure out is the mercy of God overwhelming and overflowing in every single one of those. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this, this morning thank you for who you are. And I ask as we close the chapter of 2023 and open 2024 up, that you would help us to be grounded in what you have already done. And Lord, I pray that you would embolden us as we leave this place to share your love, to share your light, and to love one another as you've already loved us. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.
Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building his kingdom at therenovation.church.